So hey everybody, welcome to episode 287 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Jaime Lippis Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? We also have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Alrighty. So, no fact check this week, but so, do we have any Ask MTJC, he said, fishy-shishly to Jaime. We do. It uh, sounds like you've been in contact with a friend of the show. Well, it was he, he was contacting the podcast generally, but yes, um, John Marston was in Birmingham, UK, and he went to a Tim Hortons of all places. Which is just totally odd to have some Canadian Canadian coffee. But in fact, it's, I think he said he had some tea in the in the follow up conversation, right? Where is he from? He's in the UK. I'm not sure where in the UK. Just we, I know he's in the UK because Greg met him over there at a conference. Yeah, but, I, uh, I, I've met him as well. Uh, I'm not going to state his location just because I can't r- recall if that was like an okay thing to say. But you know, just <laughs> generally in 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 the United Kingdom, I feel is is safe for his uh, privacy privacy, as they might say. Privacy, privacy. Yes. So um, it, it, what's interesting though is is Tim Hortons went through they sort of decided to, to chase after Starbucks in terms of they've, they've dressed up their sites and they've or their stores and they've gone to they've opened some stores downtown where I work and um, changed up the menu and tried to upscale it and, and apparently it didn't work and they've they've totally gone back they've decided that they're going back to their regular old uh, style um, because I think it's, it's a different uh, people have different tastes let's put it that way <laughs> and uh, so you know Starbucks the Starbucks of the world you have have you know certain group of people go there and then other the rank and file pretty much go to Tim Hortons so um, yeah like everybody in Canada knows Tim Hortons and knows their stuff right so um, and you know they've um, McDonald's opened their McCafe did they have McCafe in the States yep. yeah so uh, it, there was a, a rumor going around that that uh, McDonald's had got the buyer and bought the coffee that Tim Hortons originally originally using to sort of sort of steal some thunder from uh, Tim Hortons but uh, yeah anyway just I, just I think it's interesting that they've opened this store in in the UK, but yet they've they've they're downscaling the uh, the stores here in Canada uh, back to back to where they were before. Longtime fans of the show will know that uh, Timbits are like donut holes. If you mm-hmm. you've had Dunkin' Donuts, um, and they're pretty good. So what they call them on Dunkin' Donuts? Yeah, I don't I don't know okay. what the the generic term is um, for for those donut holes. Seems about as generic as, as it could be. Yeah, and uh, yeah. longtime fans of the show will know that Tim brought me a box of those to, um, was it Ennis North? Is that where it was? Yeah, Ennis North and, and uh, Chateau Montebello and between Quebec and Quebec City and uh, Ottawa. Yes, sir, Bob. Yeah. I'll have to send you a, a box of, uh, I'll, I'll send you some maple syrup and some, some Tim Hortons. Do you have a Keurig machine or a... I do have a, a single single serving Keurig machine, like the kind you, you would do, have right? at a at like a hotel room. All right, maybe maybe I can sneak some uh, coffee across the border for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Canadian, Canadian, real deal Canadian maple syrup. I, I cannot believe, as an aside, not to take the show yeah. off the rails. I cannot believe that I, I I sent the the news out to all the word to all the Canadians yeah. that I know of, and and not a single one had a reasonable um you know explanation of like here are like you know the premiere. I assume there be like a like a gray goose or a jack yeah. daniels equivalent of yeah. uh, you know of, of canadian maple syrup uh, apparently this is not the case you just you know go to your local costco and, and find it i guess uh tim i think you gave me a, a realistic link in a can which is unusual yeah. to me. i assumed it'd be in a yeah. bottle or a or, jug from or amazon something. yeah yeah well so so i'm confused about all this maple syrup discussion let's I, I saw you posted something about canadians must get their maple syrup directly from nature but... <laughs> with, with the jed clampett from yeah, yeah. the hill 
hillbillies video of like but they shoot the ground oh, and it just comes up. Is it on Twitter or something? Yes, it, it, it uh, is. This is a this is a uh, an, an omni-channel experience on MTJC. Um, Got it. Yeah. So I so multimedia. <laughs> multimedia. I yeah. I had desired to acquire some like legit maple syrup from the fine folks in the north who presumably know what they're doing. Right. It's 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 part of their flag and part of many of their sports teams. You know, insignia. For, and several people are like, I don't know, just whatever is around or or whatever the store brand is locally. I'm like, that's not helpful. <laughs> Isn't there yeah. a Hershey's brand? They just or, walk up to the nearest uh, tree and stick a straw in it and start. Yeah, yeah that's what I imagine like Greg <laughs> does, you know, with his whittling knife, he just goes out and cuts a notch and then just, you know, yeah. allows it to come out. Yeah. You know, you can laugh all you like, but but so a friend of mine, her, her family has been doing this for generations. They literally have a bunch of maple trees on their property in, in near Gananoque, Quebec. And uh, they uh, they put a notch in the they put a spigot in the tree and they hang a bucket from it and they collect the sap that runs in the spring and then they boil it and boil it and boil it and boil it and boil it until it reduces down to like maple sugar and because uh, when it first comes out it's very bitter and it's not very sweet right so you have to boil boil off the sort of tree bits right stuff like that. yeah the bugs had protein mark come on okay and then and then the um, the they can it and they 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 protect their you know their, like you 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 know their they're very protective of their can of maple syrup and you know it's their their you know property and it literally is a cottage industry there are like people out you know in in the woods right now with you know buckets hanging off of trees waiting for the sap to run right and uh, what carol was telling me at, at dinner time today was that um because i asked her like you know i finally had a chance to sit down with her and say hey where where what's what is the and i'm doing air quotes what is the canadian maple syrup and she just sort of said it depends it like because it's like wine some people make it this way some people make it that way it's pretty generous all the same sort of thing but the longer you boil it the darker it gets and the more caramelization that happens because that's what it is is caramelized sugar right um and it's got some hint of maple from the tree like there's a sort of natural smoky woodness that, that gets added into it right I, i'm sure you guys have pancake syrup in the states right oh, or sure. use corn syrup. we do but it's it's mostly fake you know just sugar water yeah yeah i yes. mean not to not to um not to diss my 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 home country but I, my the point of me asking about this on twitter wasn't to get the swill I could get out of Vermont. I wanted the good stuff right. from the strategic maple well, reserves so, in So if you, if you forget about the border, if you forget about the physical border and that wall that, that Mr. Trump is putting up, but if you forget about the border, right, and you look at, like, just take a lati- lo- line of latitude, longitude or latitude, latitude, I guess it is, right, and draw a line from Toronto to Maine, right, I'm sure you'll find that there are a lot of trees that are in the United States that qualify as certifiable maple, tr- maple syrup producing trees right all the way from here to Maine right you know so Quebec is just Quebec is further north than we are it's probably more closer to where you are in terms of uh, your lo- your latitude so there's no reason why why a Vermont tree could not produce the same kind of quality um, syrup don't at me people but uh, that you could get in Quebec right it just depends on how it's how it's prepared right you know we, we can say that but I think the uh, the bottle on this uh, to- so you know the easiest you know the easiest easiest by far easiest way to get maple syrup Jaime next 
next time you have a friend who's coming back from Vancouver on an airplane, tell them to go into the duty-free shop and pick you up a bottle. Yeah, I was hoping to get like a like a brand recommendation of like, hey, get me this thing. Not nah. fi- you know, nah. put on a blindfold and pick a random a random nope. product is what it seemed like. Um, and I will point out that champagne apparently only comes from a very small region of France. Right, and everything true. else is 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 champagne. Uh, yes, yes, fizzy uh, fizzy alcohol, right? Sparkling wine. Yeah, sparkling wine. Thank you. Yeah. So I mean, you know, the, I'm sure. That, I don't. I don't know if there's like a, an official. And as we, as we've talked about on the show, there actually is a maple syrup reserves in somewhere in Quebec, like a Fort Knox kind of thing, where they have barrels upon barrels in case there's some sort of I don't know some kind of heist or something like that. Primal, <laughs> yeah, heist. Um, <laughs> no, they're concerned that they're concerned that um, like what's this thing we're dealing with now? I can't. Is it is it climate change or global warming? What are we calling it this week? Climate, climate change, change, right? Yeah. So if the climate change affects the you know production of, of sap, they're worried that it will upset the scales of Canadian maple syrup commerce, right? So somewhere in Quebec or Ontario, I'm not sure where it is, they have a, like a, imagine Indiana Jones, you know, where, where they put the Ark of the Covenant. They have a warehouse like that full of maple syrup, right? Just in case, you know, something, ha- a, a satellite or a, a meteor crashes into Quebec and takes half the province out. It's not going to destroy the economy of maple syrup produced. And have they right? preserved the maple tree DNA so that they can they can clone it later and reproduce it if it ever... Maybe, I don't know. Maybe maybe when we travel from this planet to the next one, we'll, we'll take some, you know, some saplings with us just to make sure that we, you know, can make our maple syrup and have yeah. our pancakes. Just we pack it in with right? the hockey equipment. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But then you got to remember to take the skate sharpener with you. Right. Right. <laughs> but there's also, there's also the, there's a, speaking of that, there's also a whole industry of stick making that happens in Quebec too, right? And it's all now, a friend of mine actually makes hockey sticks and now they're made in China. Don't tell mm. anybody, but So yeah. do they make hockey sticks out of maple wood by any chance? Uh, I don't Would think do it's maple. Is maple a hardwood? It's hardwood. Maple is a hardwood. Like, yeah. You know the 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 fingerboard on a, on a on a um, Stratocaster guitar is is maple, mm-hmm. right? Um, but um, and the rest of it's ash, I think. Right? The the the, are, the neck is ash, and the body's often ash too, right? Because that's a harder wood, right? But um, yeah, and, and that's where you know that's where the argument between Gibson and and uh, 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 most Gibsons are made of maple too, right? The the actual body itself, like the Les Paul body, the Jake body. Yeah, and the fingerboards that's are what makes they them used sound to so be sweet, huh? As some, yeah, because it's sustain, right? Well, yeah. so this is, that's the argument. Is fenders are, are rock solid. Because, I mean, when you look at it from... A, sorry, folks, but when you look at... This is a, side, a long sidebar. When you look at it from a physical uh, point of view, right, you're moving a, um, a, a string inside a magnetic field, right? And the coil picks up... The coil wrapped around the thing picks up the, the vibrations of the string, right? All of that should happen in a perfect environment where there is no other vibration other than the string, right? So that's where, why fenders are so solid because they, their, their school of thought with Fender is that it's ha- the guitar has to be as solid as possible so it doesn't influence the tone of the string, right? Whereas on the Gibson side, they're into the softer woods, which do resonate, right? And that's why they have that sort of, they talk about the resonance of, of Gibson guitars as opposed to Fender, right? And it's a little bit guitar making theory for you. So a concrete guitar, like a concrete record player. Remember the old LP records? The, the more solid the bass was, the better better uh, reproduction of sound you would get. All right, now you guys have fallen asleep, but let's get on with the show. <laughs> <laughs> Long time <laughs> listeners of the show, they knew what they were in for. <laughs> if you're brand new to the show, sorry, it's sorry. not always like this. <laughs> it is called yeah, more I'm than can- just code for a reason. Uh, I'm Canadian, sorry, eh? You know, you should throw in a, and get off my lawn at the end of that. Yeah. One, <laughs> get out of my, get off that, get out of that jello tree. Yeah, get off my lawn. All right, um, hi mate, you're up with first with some follow up. Yeah, this is um, on the other, you know, in our sibling area. So the Android 
Android 11 developer preview came out and kind of curious if some of these things might end up making their way into iOS, not necessarily 14, but, but in the future as both Android and iOS have sort of become more and more similar. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, there's a new one-time permissions uh, options that you can give. And so you can say, yes, application, you can access my location, but once in only once. Uh, really? You can access my microphone once in only once. And I think that's interesting because I feel like that is something, um, you know, and Apple has done a lot in with regard to privacy on these things, but it would be pretty neat to see more of that. Yeah, I, I kind of want to upload a photo, but I really don't want this thing to get access to all my photos or I don't want it to always have access to the microphone. I just want it once so I can record this greeting for my voicemail, you know, that sort of thing. So I found that, that pretty interesting as a, as a privacy aspect. Uh, one that I found kind of funny is this um, Bubbles API for messaging, which if you remember the Facebook chat heads UI from like 2013, 2014 era, oh, no. that's that's what no that seems like. Do yeah, you remember where like you would, uh, so you imagine like somebody's uh, circular avatar for like their user profile and for whatever Facebook's, um, what was it called? Was it called Facebook home? I forget when they, when they partnered with one of the manufacturers of smartphones and they, they had a, a Facebook oriented UI. And part of it was no matter where you are in the system, you could be communicating with like your five best friends on Facebook. And each of those little chat heads would represent a you know communication path with that person as opposed to, Oh, I want to send a message to somebody. Well, let me go dig all the way into the Facebook messenger app and then find their name in the table cell and then click it and then say hello, where I could just tap on their face and say hello and then be out of it and looking at stocks or whatever it is we did back then. Um, Other things that are coming out are um, more around the, um, so it says here, right? And this is a little bit different for us. So a new uh, file type here called Apex as an enhancement on the traditional APK model. So if you think of APK being roughly the same as like IPA for apps. Right. Yep. Here they're apparently moving towards the modularization of, of apps even further into some sort of mysterious way that allows even more sort of system integration with uh, Apex APEX uh, format stuff. So I wonder if we'll ever end up with something like that for uh, iOS, which spoilers, we'll talk about a news topic that might kind of go down this road in terms of integrating third-party apps more concretely into the operating system. Interesting. It's interesting that they're doing the sort of location stuff the way that we started doing in iOS 13, right? With the one time only and the, it all becomes the same thing after a while, eh? Yeah. And it, it, it always bugged me when um, people uh, who I knew using Android phones like, oh yeah, like this app requires SMS um, capability. I'm like, why? It's, it doesn't, it's not an SMS app. It's like, oh, nice. well, in order to sign in the first time, uh, it needs to be able to read my SMS messages so that it can get the 2FA token from there. And I was horrified. I'm like, what? <laughs> that sounds like a convenient thing. Um, it sounds horrifying that like a random app will now and forever has the ability to read your, your text messages. And then, you know, in subsequent years, we found out, oh yeah, that's a really bad idea. Um, and there's a much better solution in iOS where iOS itself will read text messages for things like 2FA tokens and present that to you, uh, the user within the, the standard keyboard. But as, as far as I know, there isn't any way for an app to intercept those with user's permission or more likely surreptitiously. All right. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. You lost me there for a minute, but you 
recovered it with the OS doing it. All right. Sound interesting. All right, let's move on. So um, I've listed here uh, the Canadian Privacy Commissioner is to investigate this creepy facial recognition firm called Clearview AI. I think I mentioned last couple of weeks that, that um, I mentioned it last week for sure that the that, uh, police forces here, especially in Toronto, are using um, facial recognition to as with their body cams uh, to record, you know, people that they meet up on the street and then use this Clearview AI to find out, you know, the identity of these people without their permission. In Canada, we have a thing called Pivota, which is a privacy um, act that um, prevent, like, I think in the United States, you can use facial recognition. I'm very carefully going to say this. Let me find this, the chapter here. So the, we have this um, Personal Information Protection Electronic Documents Act called Pivota uh, that we that regulates whether or not you can use somebody's personal information, like their identity and that kind of stuff, without their permission. Um, unlike the United States, which I think has a bit more lax rules about that. Um, so that's what this this sort of, um, yeah, okay, so it's protected under the First Amendment um, to, in the U.S. Yeah, they have the right to do so. Yeah, so it's kind of so this this uh, the commissioner, privacy commissioner, is investigating this this uh, app that basically is going into um, social networks and scraping data uh, from different sites and um, you know using it to build a profile of you and figure out who you are and all that kind of stuff based on your facial information. And I guess the idea that you know the, the police would use this to to sort of further narrow down uh, and identify who people are, you know, using facial recognition. It's kind of it's kind of you know very minority report kind of pp right um but i just thought i thought i posted here in case people are interested in a follow-up on what i was talking about last week with the use of uh, facial recognition ais and this is at the canadian federal level i'm guessing just based on what you said yeah the privacy commissioners is is basically uh, yeah the government of canada yeah okay All right. yeah you're right it's, it's a lot more sort of fractured and disjoint when it comes to how this works in the united states mm-hmm. there are i think at the city levels the images that they're they're scraping are on i'm doing air quotes public websites like you know facebook's and twitter's and venmo and google and stuff like that right um you know we've put your picture up there you've posted it to facebook hey i went to this party or i looked this thing on linkedin or whatever but in the united states you, um, they have the right to do that under the first amendment whereas in canada they don't have the right to do that yeah and and it'll vary in the u.s i think facial recognition technology is being severely limited in like the city of san francisco i think as an example um which means obviously smart like, people are right you know, not, you know, two blocks away in a different city and certainly not at the state of California and, and not at the federal level for the United States. So it's a lot more sort of fractured in terms of how does this handle things from a legal perspective of the United States. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on this uh, particular story. Alrighty, what's next? Yeah, this new one that um, Safari um, relatively soon here, I don't know, uh, later this year uh, will no longer September, yeah. accept HTTPS certificates that are valid for more than 13 months. So if you were used to a two-year validation and I think five and even 10 years is possible. Not anymore. If you want to have people using Apple products, use your stuff. Um, probably a lot on Mac, but everybody on iPhone. Um, so Apple is doing this uh, ostensibly to uh, help make things more secure. So getting those certs updated and validated is something that, you know, as a public service announcement, you should work with your operations team and, and try to figure out what the impact is here because it, it is coming. Um, kind of an interesting move that, that one player uh, like Apple can sort of uh, push the industry forward on this sort of thing. 
thing and, and get people really, you know, thinking about it and not just saying, yeah, whatever, self-sign this cert for the next 30 years. And then, well, that company got sold to somebody else who's, you know, kind of shady and now they're doing terrible things to users. Like this all has I think, implications that Apple is looking for in terms of making sure that, uh, you know, people aren't sticking around on things like older, older protocols, older encryption methods and et cetera. Yeah. I think it's, this is for, for sites that have, that where it's expired more than 13, years, 13 months ago. Like, you know, like you have a year to get your, your certificate renewed, I guess is what Apple's saying, right? Um, yeah, I guess because people, like you said, people could have a certificate on there and it expires. I, I've noticed that Chrome and, and Safari lately are a lot more protective of, of browsing when you hit a site that where the, the certificate is questionable, right? For whatever reason. Yeah, no, I don't think it's, they're talking, are you saying they're talking about expired certificates? Well, it says Safari will later no longer accept new HTTP certificates that expire more than 13 months. Right. Oh, I see. So they can so okay. so, yeah, so they're saying, yeah, 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 they don't want, they don't want, they don't want you to buy like a five-year SSL or whatever, which you could do, I suppose, right? Mm-hmm. right. So, which, I mean, it's funny because they charge way more money for those. Like, well, I guess they charge a discount because you're buying more years at one time. So they only want certificates that, that are basically renewed every year, right? So in other words, you can't, can't say something that's going to expire in two years, as Jaime was saying. Yeah. Right. Huh. Kind of a pain for develop, for developers, but I guess it's good. It is. Users. Yeah. It is. I switched over to um, Let's Encrypt a while ago um, for most of my sites, so I have to go in every three months and renew those. Yes, I know about that. Yeah, that's three months yeah. is pretty short. Yeah, it's it's a bit annoying, but at least at least that way, you know, um, I know I'm doing it and it's free, and I think everybody should encrypt their sites anyway, right? Yeah, of course. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see how this uh, plays out. This is almost like the the um, app transport security. Is that is that really? Uh, are we there yet with that? I mean, I know we've been talking about that since iOS nine, right? And uh, Apple had to sort of back off on their their um, drop dead date, right? Yeah, no, we're, think... we're we're definitely there. Uh, it will well. I guess it depends what you mean by there. I mean, you can always get an exception, but but uh, they will definitely block your connection to any site that's not TLS connected. Really? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Now, this is in iOS or in, in iOS or in things like Safari in iOS. Really? Okay. Alrighty. Um, is there anything else we want to say about this one? No, that's about as good as I know. Well, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, on Sunday we lost uh, one of the pioneers of of computer science and computer technology that we're all currently indebted to, and that's Larry Tesler, um, who is pretty much the guy who invented cut, copy, and paste. And, and anytime you use your cursor to select text by, you know, clicking down or holding down your mouse and or your trackpad or whatever it is you're doing and selecting a block of text, you that's Larry Tesla's work that you're dealing with. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything to say about him, but, uh, you know, he started out at Xerox Park. Um, he figured out a way, I think it was the name of the app he, or the uh, program he made, Genie or something like that, to make uh, text manipulation easier. Um, uh, and I think he also proposed a cheaper uh, computer system to uh, for, for Xerox, but they decided not to market it. Eventually, he went over to work for Apple. I think, is he one of the guys who worked on the uh, Macintosh project? Do you guys know? I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, but he went and he worked for Steve Jobs uh, at Apple. Um, yeah, he was a pioneer, or Gypsy was the name of the app that uh, he created to make uh, dealing with text easier. Right? And like, yeah, anytime you cut, copy, and paste, you're dealing with the stuff that he did for us. So rest in peace. Next up, I mean, yeah, this is what I tended to before. This is a report out of Bloomberg's Mark Gurman that Apple is considering letting users change the default email, browser, and music apps in iOS. So if you wanted, let's say, Google Chrome or Spotify, your default mm-hmm. apps, and I don't know what the equivalent, you know, I guess Gmail for, for mail as your default app to handle links and other stuff, um, maybe in the future you'll be able to. Mm-hmm. Thoughts and opinions before we, we talk about any, it, it's all, you know, sort of laid out here of like, 
some reasons why they might be doing it in terms of antitrust complaints from stuff like uh, Spotify. It could be a just a, a gradual natural evolution as iOS has become more and more open and extensible, as we talked about when talking about Android 11 thoughts, opinions, concerns. Yeah, I think uh, I think that, you know, um, on the Mac, we've been able to change our default browser and default mail client for, for a long time. So, that, so I guess uh, presumably when you say open in browser, it'll now open in the other another browser other than Safari. Like I know I have Chrome on my phone and I have Safari and sometimes it'll say open in Chrome, open in Safari, which personally I find kind of annoying. But um, yeah, so I guess you could just stop using the standard Apple tools, switch over to something else, right? Yeah, I think that's what the experience would be like. Like I'm, I'm a Chrome user on uh, Mac OS mm-hmm. and I do have that set as my default browser. So when I right. click on a link somewhere, it will open up Chrome for me and it'd be a very similar experience in this hypothetical situation or iOS. I think it's a good thing. I mean, the, the reality is, is that probably most people aren't going to switch anyway because either they're too lazy or they're just, they don't care or they don't, they're not aware that they can change. And, and if some people do, well, you know what? They, they still bought the phone, right? So Apple's not losing any business because they're doing it. Kind of no reason for them not to do it. But, but interestingly, reading, reading this article, it looks like Apple's going to have a developer conference uh, this June. What? Yeah. Yeah. What's it going to be called? I don't know. It doesn't say in the article, but, it, but, they're, <laughs> but they're thinking that they're going to release iOS 14 or really? iOS 14 at this developer conference. Ooh, spoilers on the name. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if, it, I wonder if it's going to be hard to get tickets for that. Might be. And I wonder where it'll be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Will people know the way? Will people know the way? Oh, that's funny. Speaking of which, I was watching, um, uh, you ever watch the, the show, uh, The Masked Singer? I have watched it once or twice. I don't yeah, like I mean, watch I, it as I was, <laughs> I was flipping. I was flipping by. I've, I've, never, I've never really seen one of the reveals, but I just happened to catch the end of the show tonight and, and the reveal was, you know, who the no, 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 was, no, right? no spoilers. I haven't seen that episode. Well, <laughs> not to, oh. You can talk another night, but not tonight. Man. All right. <laughs> <laughs> a one time exception. Come on. All right. This one time exception. Cause it sounds well, like you're not a regular watcher. You, so you, this can, is block, you can block your ears. I mean, yeah. So, no, I yeah, want to so, participate in the conversation and I'll right. just, I'll just pretend well, to so be the, uh, yeah. amazed. Well, so, so, I mean, you pretty much gave it away. You gave away the clue yourself, but, um, the, uh, they voted this one singer off and, and, uh, and, like the whole the 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 judges were like what they voted her off i can't believe right um yeah and, and of course nobody knew who it was and of course they all sort of put together from the clues who it was and they could tell from the voice that it was dion warwick mm. and she's famously known for singing do you know the way to san jose as well as mm-hmm. yeah, a little prayer for you and a bunch of other songs but i guess you know the the audience who was listening to the show didn't recognize the the quality of her voice right so there you go for sure connection to the thing and I'll, I'll probably never watch the show either myself but you know anyway <laughs> i'm reading the the uh, lyrics to do you know the way to san jose yeah and, i've been away so long i can hardly know the place well but there's also one that's you can really breathe in san jose they've got a lot of space <laughs> really yeah i guess this was written a couple of years ago yeah it was written in the 60s yeah, yeah, late yeah, 60s. yeah, yeah. and there why is there no space in san jose now you've been here yeah it's just all people and cars and back oh, in tight no more trees yeah not too many trees anymore oh, it's not as packed as new york is i mean yeah i was gonna say tim tim lives in Toronto, so he, he yeah, he's like, oh, it seems rather spacious to me. Yeah, you know, exactly. by comparison, so, yeah. Yeah. the sidewalk at the front of my house is seven feet away from the front door. Right, my house, my property is seventeen feet wide. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so, there's, there's yeah. definitely differences there. When it was lots of space, chatting with a coworker, and they were like, oh, this like starter home that I have, it's small. And like, how many square feet? Two thousand. Like, what? <laughs> two thousand is small. It's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. It's because I live in the Pacific Northwest, and two thousand square feet is actually pretty large. Really. 
it's it's mm. huge for a starter home. Oh yeah, like <laughs> I guess I guess you're under the same sort of crunch that Vancouver's under for for um, base and where you are too, eh? I mean, yeah, 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 and it's it's quite different in other parts of the country. Yeah. So, but I yeah, think point still taken that you know um, I assume that San Jose is a lot less spacious now than it was back in the '60s or '70s when that song was. It's, in, was it's insanely packed here. I mean, it's it's not it's not it doesn't look urban because it's not very high. We don't right, we don't yeah, build up. Yeah. But yeah. But it's very dense. Oh, it's 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 sim- Toronto is similar. Sort of the GTA is similar too because you you can go from you you basically go from one city to the other driving along and yeah. you wouldn't even know because it's just house after house after house, right? Yeah. Or place after place. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty. I think it's I think from from the Bay Area all the way down to especially along the highway, right, the main highway. Um, it's pretty solid down to San Jose in terms of you know, where stuff is, right? Yeah. Like one continuous place after another. Yep, one continuous parking lot all the way down the freeway. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess you're up next time with your with your um your Google cracking down order. Yeah, this this kind of is is almost a theme, an accidental theme. So normally, um, unlike iOS, where you have to go through uh, what used to be a very painful and laborious process, it's gotten a lot better now. It's not two weeks; it's a couple days. So that's great. Sometimes less. Sometimes it's a couple hours. It's always been different on the Android side, where as long as you you had a pulse and you didn't do anything too sketchy, you could get an app up on Google Play. Uh, mm-hmm. But now, starting on August third, for all new Google Play apps and uh, that ask for background access to location, and in November, all existing apps that ask for background location data, um, you're going to have to go through a review from Google and, and prove that uh, there is a legitimate reason for you to be tracking the user's location continuously in the background, which is which is interesting because that's that's kind of more of like the philosophy that Apple's had of like here here's this review that proves that you barely you can be on the app store. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting as a as a change. I think this will definitely have an impact to folks who are trying to do kind of a sketchy and, and not on the up and up sort of things in the background, trying to accumulate analytics about users. So it seems like nothing but good for users and, and kind of makes me wonder if, if Apple will end up doing this in the future since it's kind of more Apple's philosophy. Blocking people from having access to location, you mean? Well, or at least getting a, an extra sort of careful review of like, what are you using it for? Do you, do you really need it? Or um, let, let's take like Uber or Lyft as an example. Do they really need your background location? Probably not. It, it, it's arguable that the apps still even work without even having your actual location of like, hey, uh, meet me at this corner, pick me up. Um, it's certainly useful to say, all right, for this one time, go ahead and you know find the blue dot on the map, bring the car here. And it can be useful while you're using the app to see, hey, are they even going on the right path towards my destination? That's cool. Now, once I've exited the vehicle and I'm done with the transaction, does that app still really need to know my background uh, location information? Mm. Probably not. And I think that's sort of what Google's ending up looking at here. And in thinking about it, I'm like, oh, it's kind of surprising that Apple doesn't do that as well. Like certainly they've done a lot of like, hey, uh, every once in a while, um, the app, sorry, the uh, the system asks you, you know, hey, this, this thing has been using your location in the background. Do you want to continue letting it to do it? Or do you want to stop it or let it only while I'm using the app, you know, that pop up. But, but not, as far as I know, there isn't a like specific review of proof that you have a, a legitimate reason for this. For sure, Apple is getting much more picky about user data in the review process mm-hmm. and, yeah. and what yeah. is done with user data. I mean, it's good to see that Google's catching up to Apple in that sense, right? Because, I mean, it seems to be that the, the, a lot of the reasons why people go to Google or to Android is because it seems to be less restrictive than Apple, right? Um, that's what they say, right? Although, you know, we sort of stand on the camp of that Apple is doing this to protect us from ourselves, right? Um, Nick, it sounds like Google's getting a little more strident about, about how they're checking what people 
like what app developers are doing, right? Is that what we're saying here today? Yeah, I, I think I think the, the other meta theme of today's episode is that both Android and iOS are increasingly sort of converging towards the middle, some sort of happy medium. Yeah, right. I see. Yeah, it's all good. Like I said, protecting us from ourselves, right? Right. And then sort of the counter example for folks has been, you know, how exactly is it protecting me to have Apple Music be the only option <laughs> on the home on the home pod? <laughs> What's so right. bad? Yeah. What are you protecting me from from using Spotify as my my music source? Oh, like, oh true. yeah, yeah. That's a good point. It's a fair point. Huh. Yeah, but I, I thought it would give you a choice to sort of say, you know, which which app do you want to listen to this in? Wouldn't you think? I guess that's where they're going. They'll it, you know, the HomePod will even ask you uh, at least when you set it up. Be like, hey, here are these like five different news sources that we can retrieve the news from when you ask us for news. Which which would you like? Seems HomePod like it says would be, that to you. Not not every time. It was when when you set it up. It gave you like mm. up to five. I, it, I caveat that by saying we have you know at least five large news sources in the United States. Your yeah, yeah. may vary outside <laughs> of the USA. Right. Uh, I have to go look at my home app to see what, what the, my choices are. Yeah, I don't remember being asked uh, that. But then again, we don't have the same access to digital news that you have, right? I don't remember being like, asked that either, but maybe I did. And you went whatever and moved on. Pay attention, yeah. <laughs> Quite possible. Siri history? What's this? Ooh. Oh, you can delete your Siri history. Is that in case the cops show up? <laughs> no, I assume it's not meant for that. <laughs> if you remember the, uh, the kerfuffle that all of the major assistants providers ran into with uh, quality control reasons of like, hey, we really need these recordings so that when the user told our assistant do this thing and it didn't do the thing they wanted, why is that? Did it misinterpret what they were saying? Did they slur it? And we need to add more sort of slurred um, you know, data to our, our uh, machine learning model data set. And uh, people said, wait a minute, see so record all those times? You know, it, it's not like it's perfect. In fact, it's wildly imperfect for all of these assistants in terms of how many times they perk up and record something thinking that you were talking to it. Right. Sometimes on this show when we're just talking about things, right? Very strange. Indeed. Very strange. All right, moving on. Let's talk about this iOS dev server. I was looking for another article I was reading it, which gave sort of a TLDR about this article, but let's uh, let's dive in here, Jaime. Yeah, you? this is the iOS developer community survey by a friend of the show and I think very popular speaker, uh, Dave Verver. Oh, Dave Verver, okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's got the, the raw survey results, which are broken down into, what, 15... Uh, different bits of data. And then he has started to add his own analysis articles of like, mm. what does this mean? So for well, example, that, mind you though, he only, it says here that he got uh, 2,290 people to fill out the survey, right? Right. So he does have a, uh, why is this survey important? A note about right. this data and uh, data quality and bias. So I think he's been very upfront with a lot of this stuff, but it is a mm-hmm. fair caveat for any of these yeah, kinds of surveys. We, we, we established a couple of months ago that there's like 60 million developers out there. A lot, more than 2,200 way more. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, I found a couple of these analysis articles interesting, like uh, how popular is Swift and uh, how do people feel about Swift? Yeah. So the the balance of uh, Swift to Objective-C code that you've written for your personal or hobby app in the past 12 months is, you know, pretty uh, pretty much a winner for being very close to 100% Swift. It's, you know... So which, so which, click, which one are you clicking on there? This is the how popular is Swift analysis. Oh, okay. yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but when it comes to your business, it drops from, you know, 70 plus ish percent, uh, to about 42% ish. You know, it's a little bit less than that was compared to how much Swift and Objective-C you have ratio wise, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so clearly people uh, for their own interests are using Swift, uh, but for practical realities have more of a blended family, so to speak of, of languages. And then the other one I found was interesting was the other analysis and opinion about, 
uh, how do people feel about Swift? You know, how satisfied? And people are mostly satisfied. I'm kind of curious about this uh, 1.4% who are not satisfied at all with Swift. Like, <laughs> what were you expecting? I mean, whatever your opinions are, like, it, it compiles and it runs code. You know, it yeah. does stuff. You know, it's got that going for it. Um, I feel like there's a little bit of satisfaction there. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, you know, which of the following statements do you agree with? Um, looks like a fair amount of people are, you know, think the Swift language is in good hands at Apple and the Swift evolution process is working well. Um, seems like about 50%. So, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a coin toss as to whether people think, you know, Swift is becoming, uh, more complex as the language matures mm -hmm. and, uh, only 40% ish, uh, believe that Swift is becoming easier to use as the language matures. In fact, I am I'm shocked that it's as high as this 40 and throwing my own analysis here, it is becoming a lot less uh, easy in terms of the, the advanced stuff, right? It feels like it's very easy to get started with Swift, but it has kind of this S curve of like, you can get really productive and then you're going to hit this wall where doing the more intermediate to advanced stuff becomes really hard, especially as we threw in like function builders and key path syntax and all sorts of other interesting and powerful elements, but it seem counter to the mixed life. Yeah, they're becoming uh, easier. More and more obscure and less intuitive to use a lot of those things. Right. Yeah. If right. you're not you, if you, you're not a Swift developer and you look at one of those key path of items, whatever they're called, you'd have no idea what that means. Yeah. It's yeah. It's still tricky. Uh looking at Swift UI and some of the combined stuff and some of the stuff that's coming up in the dot one, dot two, dot three releases of, of Swift five. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean on the one hand I'm like, yeah, there's some really cool power and on the other hand I'm thinking, well is this power that could have been achieved by other means? You know, did it have to be baked in the language or is this one of those? Hey, you're really into this thing? Really cool. Here's this other uh, plugin or framework that you can pull in to do that for you um, and let people sort of pick and choose when they want that power versus sort of imposing it upon the community this way. Yeah, it's interesting that you picked these, uh, those particular things to talk about because that's just that other article I was looking for honed in on those, on those two exact same subjects as well, as well as the, uh, you know, how committed to iOS are you a question which are from the, the raw results below right did you look at any, any of those sort of stand out in terms of talking points i mean on which specific ones? Just the ones below. I mean, I'm asking if, if like the other criteria, like the like the average age of a of a iOS developer, the majority seems to be. Where was that one? Old? Is that on the raw results under demographics? Looks like 41 and a half percent are between 30 and 39. Right. Yeah. 20, yeah. Average age mm. seems to be around 35 or so. 94 percent are male for this for this survey. Yes. For the survey. For yes. The survey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 94 percent of the people who follow Dave Verber are male. <laughs> There's a weird. So given the the number of people out of the 2199 responses i am shocked shocked that 7.6 percent were of hispanic latino or spanish origin mm -hmm. really um, yeah higher oh. than the the 6.9 percent asian population oh, that yeah, responded that is kind of surprising that's a weird statistical anomaly that you wouldn't expect to see uh, just given the the breakdown of uh, the demographics for uh, the yeah. population at large yeah but look but only 32 percent of the people who responded are, are from the u.s right so Right, but then like the next country is United Kingdom, yeah, it, Germany, it, it, Canada, it, it, Australia, yeah. France, the Netherlands, Poland, but, Spain. Okay, yeah, maybe but, a lot but, of uh, people in Spain. Yeah, China and Japan are not even on this chart. Wow. So, which probably just means that not a lot of people over there read the newsletter. It's it's probably <laughs> yeah. it's probably got a lot to do with the fact that uh, if you speak um, well, if you're Latino, there's a pretty good chance you know some English, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, that's a fair fair assumption. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why I sort of question the the 
the initial number of developers who responded to this, right? It's not, I don't think it's, I mean, I would, I would presume that more people answer the stack overflow um, ones than this one, you know, like the, the sample base is bigger. It true, is interesting to true. see. And, and it's, it's rough because we don't really have great insight to like our community here, right? Like the, the stack overflow one, like Swift is maybe in the top 10, mm-hmm. right? Where overwhelmingly it would be, you know, JavaScript and Python and, and Java even go. Uh, Rust probably has, has outpaced uh, Swift on there. So it's when we look at those demographics, when they come out, it's it's hard to sort of see, well, okay, well, how does that work for our um, somewhat more uh, insular, for lack of a better word, community? Mm-hmm. The, the, the Apple ecosystem is definitely not quite as um, open and ingrained with the other ecosystems. Yeah, just flipping through some of these other um, things like conferences and meetup and your career. Most people have been doing this, but the, the majority of people, 44% have been doing this five to 10 years. And 15% are uh, more than 15 years is like down to 8%. Most, most, so most people are in the five to 10 year in terms of their career working on this stuff, right? Yeah, not too many people have been working on the iPhone for 15 years. That's that's for sure. <laughs> <That's true>. <laughs> <laughs> There's just some core group at Apple that can, that can say that. Yeah, that's true. Maybe, maybe they can do that. Wait a minute, what's this? Are you involved in creating app for any of the following for professionals? 99% iOS, and then how do these other ones come into play? Weird. Oh, so I see. Everybody who, oh, this is probably one of those multiple choice questions where, or multiple selection answers where 99% of the people are involved in iOS and then 29% Mac OS. It's funny how the tvOS and watchOS fall off on these these uh, numbers. Here's what people are interested in doing, right? Yeah, I do think as a criticism, I don't think that Apple did a very good job of building the developer community around watchOS or tvOS. Well, do you think that doesn't have to do with the actual platform itself? In terms of what capability or... Capability, performance, yeah. Yeah, I... I mean, the watch was a huge, huge disappointment when it first rolled out, right? Yeah, and there's there's business decisions that were made around the watch that I think just you know, squashed the community before it ever had time to, to grow and flourish from a tiny little seedling, right? You mean like the store, having its own store and purchases and stuff? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, you can't charge for it. It's like, well, it's a complete waste of time for me to spend my development yeah. money <laughs> building something yeah. that I can't charge extra for. It's like, sure, yeah. And, that's and true, I, that's true, yeah. And I think for TVOS, um, the fact that they didn't allow apps to, or, or games specifically, to require uh, a legit controller made it so that there wasn't really any sort of, um, I hesitate to call it serious gaming, but I'm going to call it enthusiast gaming, like you would see with the Nintendo Switch, which is sort of the, the best example that proves that that is what the Apple TV could have been for the home. Hmm. You know, is it going to compete with the, the PlayStation 5 and the, uh, the Xbox Series X or 10? I don't know how that's pronounced because the iPhone. Um, in terms of performance capability, no. Will it have a lot of fun stuff that you can do? Yeah. I mean, that's what the Nintendo Switch does and the Apple TV could have done, but Apple said, no, you can't require that because business reasons or or maybe you know user experience reasons that they didn't want to solve. And as a consequence, yeah, like, yeah, here's, you know, some apps that play like mobile apps. They just are on a bigger screen. All right. I mean, I guess that's not that interesting is what the community seems to have done. Hmm. As long as we're on a dour note, <laughs> I am personally disappointed with the results on the Swift on the server section. If you guys took a look at that, really? Um, 
not a lot of, you know, personal level of interest uh, across the board here. Like it's, it's kind of peanut buttered um, the, in terms of the personal level of interest. And then the business level of interest is demonstrably, nope, 65.7% is the absolute lowest uh, number one uh, from a scale of one to 10. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. I think one is that most iOS developers are concerned more with the, the client side and, you know, they have other people who would deal with the server side and um, it's going to take a lot to usurp the sort of Java world on, the, on the, you know, Java and Node and all that kind of stuff on the servers, right? Uh, and, I indeed. Think and and, it's, and Node. it's pretty much a, a non-starter for most business uh, developers because everything is cross-platform. You have to support Android. So right, what's, true, yeah. you know, what do you really gain from going to Swift on the server versus JavaScript on the server? It's hard to make a strong argument mm-hmm. that you should switch, especially if you've, if you've already got infrastructure in place. Yeah, right. And I think Node, Node.js was probably the, the best example of front-end folks uh, JavaScript developers in that case being interested in moving things to the back end uh, but to Mark's point that was still a cross-platform compatible thing as opposed to Swift on the server which doesn't solve for, for Android mm-hmm. uh, or I guess even for web in that case um, and I guess no surprise just given stuff we've talked about with like Katira being dead in the water I guess um, have you deployed Swift on the server to a production environment with any of the following frameworks and the winner by far at 87.2% is Vapor a big chunk at 14. Percent of Katura, but I'm sure that will diminish over time. And then rounding these out are Perfect, Zewo, which I'd forgotten about, and the uh, mysterious other at 2.87%. So let's see. Let's just do some real math here. So if we had, okay, so 335 people responded to that question and answered by, okay, yeah. So, all right, all right, yeah. So that's, okay, that's about 87% of 335. So it's probably close to uh, 250 or so, right? Over 300 people are using paper out of these 335. Yeah, that's a reasonable number. Mm. But out of the entire 2200, it's actually quite small. Yeah. So digging into the uh, two categories here, iOS development and Mac development, it's interesting to see. Um, I mean, some things are pretty much no-brainers, but it's interesting to see how what people are planning to do next, right? So in the next 12 months, what are you planning on working with? Like 72% said they will plan a, they will work with UI Kit. 60% said U, Swift UI, and 55% said Combine. A good strong 40% are still looking at core data, which I think is interesting. And this is on iOS. Um, and of course, you know, in terms of what you shipped in the last 12 months, uh, 98% are shipping UI kit. Um, not very many on, on combined. And Swift, that's good, Swift UI because those are new. And if you switch over to the Mac OS development, um, obviously people are still, uh, if you're currently shipping AppKit and Catalyst and Swift UI are, are relatively small and low down there in terms of what they're shipping. But if you plan to start developing a new Mac OS app in the next 12 months, months, um, the majority of people, 67%, said they would start using Swift UI, and 55% said it was combined. So um, AppKit and Catalyst are sort of neck and neck around 50% of the people who answered. Um, and of course, our data is still strong and CloudKit uh, coming along as well. But it's interesting to see that, you know, on the Mac OS side, obviously people are excited about Swift UI's ability to, to do a Mac app. Um, I, as you know, I've been playing around with Mac apps myself recently, specifically with Swift UI as well, but uh, and some AppKit. But it, it certainly does like Swift UI is, is kind of levels the playing field in terms of working across the different um, Apple platforms, but uh, and you know I think people have, people have been saying all, all for a while now that AppKit is you know a little difficult to sort of get your head wrapped around compared to UIKit, right? Is AppKit is that relatively new? Is that like something that's been added on to um, macOS development, or has that been around for a long no, time? No, that's the original. That's, that's that it, was the next step. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So it's interesting to see that Swift UI is, is having a good leg hold on, or getting a leg up on on Mac development. Uh, um, 
and it's starting to people on the iOS side are still interested, right? Now, this isn't saying that they'll exclusively use Swift UI. No, no, they're they're willing to try it out in the next yeah. twelve months. Yeah, yep. for sure. Yep. Yeah, like a good sixty percent on both both platforms, yep. right? And I could see but, how that would make sense. I mean, certainly there are the the exceptions to what I'm about to say. There's like the the omnis of the world that yeah. are you know been longtime excellent Mac and you know app kit based developers. But when you just sort of survey, no pun intended, the the Apple developer community, it is overwhelmingly iOS development. You know, like if they were all in the room, there'd be like one person in the room that was Mac and everybody else is like iOS, um, right. iOS only probably. So I could see where if people were like, all right, you know, I'm interested in trying out developing for Mac. If I'm going to have to learn something new anyways, yeah, I could get a lot of mileage out of uh, leveraging what I know for UI kit and translating it to app kit. But if I'm going to learn something new anyways, I might as well learn the new hotness Swift UI <laughs> and go with that. I mean, that seems yeah. like a sensible thing that people might choose. Yeah. Whereas on the iOS side platform, if you're familiar with UI kit, you're probably going to stick with that for a bit, right? Yeah. It's interesting on the on the conference side too. They're, they're talking in, in conferences. Um, uh, 63% of the people who responded to this uh, have not attended conference in the last 12 months, which is interesting. But when looking at, um, you know, what the factors are that what people are, are looking at, you know, like, is it affordable, speakers, you know, uh, what's the thing? The biggest thing is, is the to- are the topics that I'm interested in is, is obviously the number one driver for whether you go to a conference or not. Yeah, I think location. I think fewer, yeah. fewer people, and this, this kind of shows that fewer people than you might think actually are involved in the whole going to conference scene yeah not yeah, many for people sure, go for sure. but and let's let's talk about wwc which we talked about before um how important is is wwc week to you in the 77 percent said it's important to follow along with the videos and news remotely right um and that's well above way and above anything else that like you know whether you'd attend or is a city you're going to go to it's just it's just like can i get the content and and now that apple's made it you know available to to stream it live and to watch it after the fact i think that's a huge factor for people um and then if WWDC week is important, is that important to you? Uh, but you did not attend. Why did you not attend? And obviously, the the big pick are the cost of traveling to San Jose for a week is too expensive. Um, the WWDC ticket is too expensive, which is arguable. Um, it's too far not away for me. Expensive but... to travel to San Jose. Sorry, for me, I don't think it's that expensive to travel to see it. Well, not for way. you. For you, it's a bus <laughs> ticket. I'm just gonna I go know. To the gas station. <laughs> it's a full two seventy five. You have to pay for parking. Come on, it's gonna be twenty five bucks right. a day for yes, parking, right? Yes, or take a, a new. Uber, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uber's more expensive than parking, isn't it? Um, but uh, it's too hard to get a ticket in the lottery is, is obviously a, a big factor. It's like 46% of the people said that. But, but it, yeah, it, it's it's an expensive conference. I mean, it's easily, you know, five or six grand to, to come from, from away and go to yeah. WWDC, right? The price so. of the ticket is, is way more expensive than comparable conferences. Yeah, but you know what? You, you're spending a thousand bucks to go to to 360i dev. I don't know what the conferences in the UK are like, uh, Jaime. But you know, so a lot of conferences, like you know, Ray Wenderlich's conference was like around a thousand bucks or so. Um, you know, so it, it, I don't know what Cocola. What's the other one's Cocola? Coco Comp, right? Wait, 360, right. 360i dev is a thousand bucks just for the pretty registration. Much, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, that's if, if you're you're do some the, of the tutorials and things. Yeah. 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 And yeah if you're no, not doing I mean, like the early bird, right? Yeah. And and even then, Tim, like WWDC 
see just for the ticket itself is right. 50% to, to, you know, twice as much. Yeah, but, but you're getting five days of con- content. You're not getting like a three-day or two-day conference, right? I mean, Monday is basically yeah, yeah. like, you know, a quarter Plus, day. That's true. That's true. Friday is a repeat of stuff. So it's really like Tuesday through Thursday. Actually, this year, Friday was a new stuff. It was a, it was a really annoying that, that, you know, Friday had, they were right up till five o'clock at night, they had new content, you know? Like in previous years, you're right. They had they just repeated uh, stuff if you missed it, right? But yeah, this year it was jam-packed. I think probably because of Swift UI, but in but uh, WWC could be a lot more expensive than it is for the ticket. I mean, I think part of what that is is Apple. Apple sort of realizing that you know how much it costs to come to W to San Francisco and and uh, and San Jose, you know, hotels and all that kind of stuff considered, right? Um, I'm sure Apple sort of you know keeping the price down for that reason, right? Because I mean, it's been fifteen hundred bucks for ten years, right? You know, you know, uh, but how much does Google I/O cost? So I was going to bring that up. So yeah. for for WWDC for your sixteen hundred dollars, about the only thing you're getting outside of the content is uh, maybe a nice jacket and maybe some, and some quality with Craig. Come on. pins. And a selfie with Craig. <laughs> and, a, and, a and a couple of box with, lunches. With Greg. <laughs> um, for Google I.O., instead of $1,600 for the, the ticket, it is $900. Uh, it's about half a week, so it's not a full week. Three days, yeah. And um, although they've de-emphasized this over the years... It's Android, come on. You, you quite often end up getting some sort of physical hardware. Um, this has been you know, watches and I think even phones and there's been headsets and uh, Internet of Things stuff. Like there's a reason eBay fills up with a lot of that stuff. And, you know, that helps reduce the, the price, you know, the effective price of your ticket. And Apple was like, yeah, it's more expensive for not really any clear reason. You get a nice jacket you'll wear for a week. Come on. <laughs> you'll hang it up in the closet and you'll, you'll, you'll see how many you have in a row. And your wife will say, do you need this thing? Does it have to take up space in the closet? Yeah. Well, the 2018 WWDC jacket is now available for 100 bucks on eBay. Really? Yeah. Oh, is it a double extra large? <laughs> this is a 2018, not the one. Yours was a 2019. Oh, not the one I lost. Yeah. yeah. But, and I, there's only one listed, interestingly enough. WWDC jacket? From 2018. Yeah. We tried 2019. What I want to know is on the how important is WWDC week to you? The 5.2% who said it's not important at all. Who are these people? I want to know more. Well, there's only 2,000 here that are being sampled, but, but still, like it's it's interesting that, that people are saying no, right? Not interested. Not at all important, which is weird. I, I feel like there's a lot of, of detail that needs to go into that answer because this is uh, to make analogies, very poor analogies, this is the release of a new Harry Potter book and you're a Harry Potter fan. This is a new Star yeah, Wars movie has come no, out. This not is everybody sees it that uh, way. You know, I, this is a, a religious experience that is, you know, this is a, a religious <laughs> holiday for for many, you know, in our community to make a really poor analogy. Yeah, not everybody sees it that way. You know, there's there's a lot of people who work at a lot of you know, big companies who for it's just a job for them. Yeah, yeah. I would think it would uh, be I'm, important just to know, oh, even cynically, even cynically, how is Apple screwing up my life in the next 12 months? <laughs> <laughs> you know, true. even if you hated what you did, it would still be important uh, just to, you know, self-defense. Yeah, it's arguable, arguable whether, you know, every developer, I think about every developer you work with, are they all that interested in what Apple's going to do next week, right? You know, the three of us are because we're, we're fanatics, but, you know. That's true. And 
given the quality of live streaming and how quickly the videos and content comes out, um, I'm pretty happy with, you know, like, and oh, what, I didn't get a what ticket. What was the That's color cool. of your background on your, your jacket? That Orange. There's orange on the inside. Orange or red? Orange. You don't okay. get a choice. You got what you got. I, I know. The red, the red ones are the most popular ones, though. I'm, so. I'm asking because there's one on eBay that's red. <laughs> well, it, it's funny, though, but both Sue and I both lost our jackets at WWDC. Like, she lost hers, like, within like within two days of, of being at the conference, and, and I lost mine, like, on the last day. Right? sure they so, were both on eBay at some point. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Let me feel probably washing their car with it now, right? <laughs> no, 270 bucks for a 2019 new without tags. Brand new, never mm. worn. Doesn't say what size. That's mm. a picky part. Yeah, right. Why would you not put the size? You'd have to contact the, the seller. All right, let's move on to, uh, oh, me. How about this? I forget what the story is now that I'm looking at it. Uh, oh, yes. Right. Now, I have to thank uh, Manoj, I think, for this one. No, sorry, this is not Manoj. Sorry, Manoj. Um, my friend Manoj from work was telling me today that uh, he read that uh, Apple was rumored to be moving towards the ARM chip moving away from Intel. Oh, we've been talking about that for a long time now. Yeah, yeah. But but this article here is a new MacBook Pro leak reveals powerful update. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, so, so this is about the ninth generation Intel. Gotta catch up here. Time Spy, I think, is the name of the new chip, right? It's the Ice Lake Ice Lake uh, processor. Okay. We're curr- what are we currently in right now? Like Cabby Lake or something? I'd have to take a look. Yeah. So, more powerful 16-inch MacBook Pro? Is that the... There's the surprise. The thing for me, though, I, I'm, I, I'm hearing that there's going to be a 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro recycle right uh, coming up in the next month or so have you guys not heard that i hadn't heard that in particular but wouldn't surprise me that they would take the same um sort of designs and internals that they came up with for the 16 inch macbook pro and and move it to the rest of the maybe line. it'll be a 14 inch yeah That's true and they're saying yeah. here that well if, if it was a different size it would have to they would have to have an announcement about it but um wouldn't they because i mean in previous years they've just sort of bumped up the 13 without without just a press release right that's what the article here is saying too previously yeah they have to have different product deliverance or whatever with the URL. Uh, what is it? Yeah. Uh, list underwriters right. use it. So here it is that where the TimeSpy comes in. TimeSpy is the name of the application that's doing, I guess, benchmarking um, with the Ice Lake powered Mac Pro 13 absolutely wipes the floor with its predecessor. Uh, so this is the, the rumored uh, new chip of somewhere somebody's found a MacBook 13 with this chip in it. Yeah, I'm in the market for a new 13 coming up this year, hopefully. Play my cards right. I definitely am getting a uh, new Mac or a birthday surprise, I was told. Anyway, all right, move on. Um, so this next story, Carol was just telling me about this at dinner. Um, she was reading an article that she found in Time uh, Magazine, or Time, yeah, Time Magazine, I guess I call that still, um, about uh, Amazon has opened up a new store in Seattle. I made you don't know about this, the grocery store. Remember the Amazon Go we talked about last year? I guess it's a kind of follow-up. Uh, right. So now now basically there's a, a grocery store without cashiers at the register. You basically sign in uh, with, your, with your app and uh, cameras and stuff like that, watch you as you go through the store that's not creepy at all and as you reach for a product it uh it loads it into your your virtual cart and uh you pay for your groceries at the end of it by um by getting it billed to your amazon account and um things like bananas and fruits and stuff like that which are normally weighed you buy them by the weight uh i guess they're all uniform size um because they're you you pay per per banana as opposed to for the weight of bananas you're buying um you know so they got 49 cent uh avocados for instance right 
and uh, they apparently had to come up with a new sort of algorithm for the way that uh, they they watch people shuffle through and find the right avocado rather than just picking up the first one they because people just go just don't go buy pick up the first avocado that's presented to them they kind of root, root around and find the squeeze them to figure out which one's the right one or squeeze tomatoes to find it which is the right ones so they had to sort of reinvent their their process to do that interesting somebody sort of said here don't don't get to your friend to reach to the and reach up and to for, for a high product for you and put it in your cart because the the action of them reaching for it will get charged to their card then you <laughs> so, should try to do it <laughs> get them yeah, to do it. <laughs> yeah take your tall friends with you when you go grocery yeah. shopping that's for sure so so it's interesting that they put the cashierless in the title the word cashierless because yeah, yeah. cashierless isn't that big of a deal we have self-checkout everywhere now i assume yeah, you guys yeah, do sure. too right yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's it's there i don't know of a store that doesn't have any cashiers but but i'd never go through the cashier anymore i always do the self-checkout True, yeah yeah why why talk to people when you don't have to exactly right? yeah especially when they're slow and anyway yeah, yeah. so this amazon go go the other thing too apparently there's somebody guarding the, the liquor <laughs> making sure that you have the right you're at the right age yeah you can't you, buy you can't buy liquor through the self-checkout in california nope, nope. oh nope you have to hmm. take that through to a person you have to go to washington for to buy liquor through the self-checkout i guess right Jaime? i have no idea i don't buy liquor that often <laughs> <laughs> that's your and story did, you're sticking to be, it okay okay well, be for you. like a party where i'm like mm, i don't want to bag all this crap i'm gonna have somebody else do, professional right. do it for me so yeah right. i yeah i mean it's this is in the seattle area it's in capitol hill for those who know the neighborhood it is apparently right next to the red hook brewery which is pretty nice because that's a really nice place to go um i've not gone there yet i definitely will because i have gone to the amazon go uh, convenience stores that have gone up before it is a really weird experience it, it feels like thievery even though you know consciously i know but subconsciously i feel odd um to mark's point the cashier list isn't quite as interesting because we've had the self-checkout lanes this is um faster because other than the the slight bit of scanning on the way in um and i think maybe scanning on the way out uh you pretty much as fast as you can grab stuff and shove it into the bag and you go just immediately there's mm. no all right let me take this basket of stuff find where the upc code is uh oh uh are these bananas they don't have a code well all right let me look them up on the on the uh the look up by number that's on the sticker and then weigh it it's like oh just grab and go or you can navigate down to b and find banana yeah mm. the, the ui really that, that feels like the whole podcast topic in and of itself the ui on different machines sometimes even with the same store is not consistent which is irritating Mm. It should be a standard for that. Mm. A new morphic layout for, yeah. <laughs> for ca- cashierless self-checkout machines. With a holographic screen. <laughs> right. This is interesting, though, that I'm just reading here that uh, Amazon bought Whole Foods. I think we talked about that before. Is Whole Foods still a standalone operation? I mean, it, it acts, it appears to be when you go in, you know, there's, you don't see Amazon signage everywhere, but, but if you look closely, you can see Amazon stuff and right. you can use the Amazon app to check in and you get discounts and things like that. And if because, you have that, apparently Amazon, Walmart is your nation's largest grocer and, uh, yeah, 4,700 stores. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and Walmart of course has that service where you can, you can order things online and just drive up, drive by and pick it up right in your DeLorean, right? Yes. Or your, your, you know, time traveling phone booth. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, yeah, I think very similar to the way that um, Starbucks and McDonald's have started on opposite ends of the market and are 
heading towards each other in the middle. Amazon and Walmart started on opposite ends and are heading towards each other. Right, right. Mm. Is that reference to the story we we're talking about earlier with McDonald's and Toronto and Tim Hortons? You, you you brought it up for the the McCafe, which is the the more upscale than the cheap forty nine cent. I assume absolute swill of coffee that my grandfather used to enjoy on a daily basis. Um, At McDonald's, yeah, yeah. I mean, now you you pay like two dollars ish for like a pretty you know pretty nice. Uh, wouldn't call it Starbucks quality, but it's you know within striking distance. And Starbucks also has the all right. Maybe you don't want to pay four ninety nine for a gut busting sugar bomb. Um, we've also got drip coffee too. It's like a dollar or two dollars, whatever it is. It's cheap. Right, right. All right. So we had a big argument about neomorphism in the beginning of the show, but so I see you got a post here about it. Mm-hmm. I threw in the uh, the neomorphism link. Yeah, the neomorphism. Have we not talked about that before? Because I've seen that subject come up before. I know it's a different tutorial and stuff, but you know the reason why I say that though is because I'm sure we've talked about this before. Because I I would rec- I recognize the the example he gives. Like he talks about he shows that WWDC thing from two years ago where they had the white on white or last year white on white and black on black kind of thing with the objects in 3D. Um, but I can't remember why is that because AR Kit was big big time last year. But anyway. Um, the, but I've seen that design. I mean, that's, you know, this goes back to like, you know, ancient art, like kind of subjects where you have shadow and you have highlight. And, you know, I'm sure we talked about neomorphism before as, as sort of a, when we talked about morphism, skeuomorphism, because, you know, it, it, it became, it fell out of favor. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I'm a fan of skeuomorphism. I, I, I mean, I get the idea behind the sort of current modern design of everything's flat and, you know, lots of wide open spaces and use of use of empty space. That's Those are great artistic concepts, but I still like... Uh, faux leather and and uh, like I even my company logo which I started out it started out as a, as a drawing of a of a wooden structure like it was painted to make it look like wood right and uh, and in sort of it's it's, a, it's an illogical shape in 3D right so and a logo that kind of looks like a close up of a keyboard this kind of same kind of thing which one's that our own logo yeah yeah well, even that did, too did you but if you look <laughs> no no it's true but if you look at it if you look at it it actually I actually have you know um, tapered it like I've, I've shaded it to make it look like it's actually a keyboard like the I, old i know, you know i'm agreeing with you yeah yeah, yeah. so because the keys are I don't slightly always argue with you tim just sometimes no, no. really this seems like it eh? yeah no it no, just I, has I, the same sound yeah. <laughs> 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 like if you didn't understand the language and you just heard the tones you're like oh it must still be an argumentative thing it's, oh no wait no it's not so the other thing too is is that that you know we have the in in our the app that mark and i worked on together two life 100 years ago right we have the dreaded hamburger menu right with the with the slide out i the customer and I call it the sock door because it kind of slides open and you, you rummage through looking for what you're looking for, right? But Mark insisted on there being a drop shadow, mm-hmm. if you remember Mark, yeah, right? Yeah, So Mark sort of said, no, it needs a shadow. You gotta, it's got, you have to have a visual, you know, something, a visual cue that there's, that you're on a different plane here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Apple does that now too with the, with the, you know, with the modals that slide up and, and they, they drop the back and blur it a bit, you know, or they tilt it back and blur it. But it is true when iOS 7 came out, they got rid of that. So for a little Yeah, while, they got rid of they all those shadows and all those kind of, of things, and they're slowly creeping back in, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So, so are you saying it was bad that I insisted on a drop shadow or good? I couldn't tell. What no, I mean, no, I mean, I, I wasn't going to object to the idea. I mean, I know we had to yeah. sell it because, because uh, you know, we they were all in on this. In fact, if you remember, we designed that that app in iOS six, right? Mm-hmm. And they choose they chose all those bright colors, and then the next thing you know, iOS seven comes out and it's all solid colors and you know the same sort of palette, right? Kind of like our our creative director got to that place before Apple introduced it to the world, right? So, mm-hmm. And it became the norm, right? And then material well, it was design kind, it kind of came from material design, didn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. But material design is a Google thing, or is that a material design something beyond Google? It was a Google before thing. Google, yeah. pre Google. Yeah. So, but I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, I mean, if you're if you're, I'm looking at a can of spam on my on my windowsill here, I have an original. You know, I have a can of spam because of the whole you know tongue firmly planted in cheek thing. But it's got a picture of a a sandwich, you know, with a with a sesame seed bun and a and some cheese and some lettuce, right? But it's a flat image, right? And it's and it's shaded in such a way that my brain thinks it's a sandwich, you know. So, so we've had we've had skeuomorphism forever, you know. Uh, I don't know why we why all of a sudden we decide we have to get rid of it, right? Yeah, we we had an era where um, I mean, man, look, look at the difference between Windows three point one and Windows ninety five as an example. Um, and I'm using the Windows side because I wasn't using Mac in that era, so couldn't speak to that. But they on the UX team for Microsoft, they worked really hard to make it so that it was a lot more obvious what was clickable. Like the start button, the iconic yeah, start yeah. button was, it looked like a, a physical button. There's, there's no reason it needed drop shadows and beveling to imply that it's at a different plane and that you could you know, interact with it in some way. But it was helpful compared to the very flat tiled look of Windows 3.1. And and you're right, the skeuomorphism for touch devices, you know, early era, you know, smartphones like the iPhone, it really had its place in time. And we, as an industry, I think in retrospect, we did ourselves a disservice by completely abandoning it. Uh, I mean, even the the flat design that we see now on iOS is a lot more skeuomorphic-ish than those early betas in whatever year iOS 7 came out in, like 20, 2013, I think. Um, and it I seems like we've sort of you know, gotten closer back towards the pendulum swinging the other way and saying, oh, you know what, maybe there were some good ideas there of like, it'd be nice to understand if, is, is this a button or is this a text label, right? That was the huge issue for, for uh, iOS 7 when it first came out. With new morphism, the, the, the portmanteau of new and skeuomorphism, it tries to blend it, it, kind of in the same way that like material design worked for, for Google that you guys mentioned. It tries to blend the flat, sort of minimalist, clean style with the benefits of skeuomorphism of like, hey, this thing looks like a button. It looks like I could actually interact with this in some way. Right, right. Admittedly, though, like in the world of skeuomorphism, it does let, like, the thing about it is, is it's coming back subtly, right? But in from an artistic point of view, there were some fugly art designs in, in when we had skeuomorphism. Like, people were just, like, going to town with drop shadows here and there, and it was just, it was, and you know, marble textures, and it could get pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bad pretty quickly. So, I mean... Especially on those like tiny doing, little screens that the early yeah, phones I mean, had. Yeah, like, I'm thinking of the contact Contacts app, right? It had that sort of, you know, um, leathered, you know, I forget what you call it, burnished leather kind of look, uh, tooled, tooled leather is what I'm thinking of. You know how, you know how you're, like, a saddle yep. um, has sort of tooling in it to make it, give it some sort of texture. And a lot of my, stuff, right? my early poker apps had, like, a green felt background with right, kind of exactly. leather yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, boundary around it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and that sort of gives the lends itself to the sort of gaming table metaphor, right? right? Exactly. So, yeah, it, you know, it fits, it fits well. I mean, like even some of the early, you know, uh, I had an air hockey app on my iPad and, and it had the sort of the, you know, the ice, it looked like ice that you were playing on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I think, I think we go, I mean, if, look, I'm looking at this Catalina Island on my, on my desktop right now. I mean, like, why do I need to have this skeuomorphic image of, of an island that I've never even been to and probably never will go to, you know, as my desktop. And yet I have to have everything flat and dark mode and, you know, whatever. 
whatever. You, you can change your desktop picture, you know. You can. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But I would have to care enough to, to be bothered, mm. right? I do actually have a Roger Dean desktop. Uh, mm. I have a bunch of, I have a, a, like a folder full of Roger Dean images that I flipped mm-hmm. through and got for free on his website. Or you could actually go to Catalina Island next time you're in California. Yeah. Is it that where it is? Yeah. It's just off of LA. Oh. It's where okay. Natalie I'd would get, I'd have to get like a helicopter and fly and no, just no, like no. look down the edge of the island you to get the ferry. right perspective. Well, maybe no, no, but I'm saying like the, the picture that's on my, my desktop yeah. is taken from the air, right? Or fly so. a drone over it. I don't know if that's allowed, actually. I'm not recommending it if it's not, if it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> not a lawyer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. yeah. Huh. So, well, of course, it's in California. That makes perfect sense, knowing mm-hmm. Apple. All right. Well, considering all the other places that are that OS 10 is named after are in California, it makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So the, the, the last bits I want to say about the new morphism is um, it's a style that to me looks a lot like like formed plastic yeah. and mm-hmm. if you if you're like me and you still have the uh, wired headphones take your wired headphones out of their little container that they came in i don't know if this is a singular piece very briefly it looked like it might be a singular piece of plastic mm-hmm. but that style when you you know you take out the headphones of you know hey it looks like an, an object was here is sort of what this new morphic style is reminiscent of to my eyes yeah mm-hmm. and so it I, seems like a, hmm? i like the style but doesn't it remind you of these like 1970s science fiction movies where everyone wore all white clothes and all the walls yeah. were all painted white in the future. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. The future, yeah. Yep. Yeah. If it all ends up white and gray, that, that might end up being uh, an issue. Yeah. It, it does have um, one of the benefits that skeuomorphism, you know, didn't have. And that was when, you know, when you had the, the pixel perfect ability to say, oh, every iPhone is this exact same dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do that. Oh, yeah. This, you know, button is precisely here it's precisely this size and shape relative to other things uh, that very quickly became untenable as newer device sizes came out and is completely impossible to do he says without like a ton of grunt work per device um <laughs> yeah. you know it's just not scalable to do this however doesn't have as far as i can tell any of the scalability downsides from uh, skeuomorphism of like you know this could work on a tiny phone like you know oh, brand right. new yeah, se yeah. and it could work on a massive ipad pro and it would look mm. just as fine because it's not like mm, well you know the real amplifier wouldn't have that much space between buttons right you don't end up with that problem anymore i think it also comes from the whole concept of 3d rendering because you know when you create an object in a 3d space there's different ways of of uh, shading it right there's like there's fong um there's ray tracing you know there's like mapping images onto things um and you know and uh, it, it moves towards realism and, and i'm going back to the the wwdc image from a couple of years ago right where they had all those objects that had you do you remember um, when was it System Eight or Mac OS Eight? They were moving towards the thing. They had an Aqua interface. Oh no, it was, it was, it was original iOS ten. Yeah, like, that like was iOS 10. ten. Yeah, Mac OS ten. They had that um, Mac OS 10. that Aqua yep. gel, jelly buttons and all that kind of stuff, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of reminiscent of that kind of era of Apple, where everything had like button wasn't a flat thing that you, you pressed on. It was a big. It was like almost like a jelly bean with the word menu in it or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking back to their original their website back then too, right? Lickable. UI, I think, was what was used to describe yeah, it. I miss, I miss the playfulness of, of, of skeuomorphism, is what I'm saying, right? Like, but, but you're right from a scalability point of view. Yeah, I mean, if you if you make the image certain resolution, certain width, and then you move, what do you do on bigger devices, and how do you crop? We run into these issues all the time when with our apps, where you know uh, the our design group will give us an image which looks fine in one layout, but then in another layout, you know, it's it, it needs to stretch or, or it gets squished or whatever. We have to yep. sort of decide. How are we going to crop it off on the sides or how are we going to make it fit? And then we throw it on the iPad and it completely doesn't fit, you know? 
um, so those kind of images like don't like, like it's I'm talking about like it's an actual picture of some people right kind of thing um, or some graphic of a, like a like a map or something um, yeah so so they have to provide us with multiple versions of the image based on the devices right because that's kind of where that goes so I guess you know trying to get rid of uh, skeuomorphism in a sense also makes it easier for uh, desi- developers to lay things out right but yeah uh, yeah, tune in next week for a special surprise from Miami that we want. <laughs> same are we bat start time, adding, same bat channel. Are we going to start adding teasers at the end next time uh-huh. on MTJC? Yeah, yeah, it's just a you know a sound sound bite of us yelling at each other, like "Holy smokes, what happened? I have to find out." Oh, they were just reenacting. Don't the put that in the, the show. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. Next I'll week, I'll put it in the show a, if I want to. Next week on a very special MTJC. Yeah, exactly. Miami talks about what is it? Neo New. Well, uh, all right, let's go around the table as we usually do, and let's talk about our picks. How about that? How about that for a blast from the past? Anyway, so I'll go first. How about I'll go first? Yeah, so I saw this on Twitter. Um, a young lad had in, had uh, mentioned that he just pushed out an app. His name is Frank Kruger. I guess I'm not sure if he's young or not, but he's got a mustache. He's got a beard, so he can't be young. young. He's younger than you, but, Tim. <laughs> you're, all, you're, all, you're all younger than I am, Mark. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I know. Um, anyway, much, not, that, yes. not, not that that matters, but uh, Daniel Steinberg is older than me, so that's okay. Yeah, so this is a cool little tool. Uh, if you've if we've talked about uh, App Annie and a few other things in the past, so this is called uh, AppStat, and what it is is a Mac app that you put in your credentials for your uh, uh, iTunes Connect or your App Store Connect account, and it goes uh, online and picks out your uh, your daily stats and uh, reviews and things like, that, things like that. And you can see in the graphic here that's in the thing. It's ten dollars, by the way. It's it's a bargain at that price, but it sits up in your menu, and I'm going to click on it right now. And I can see how my apps are doing today. Zero, 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 zero. I made no money today from the app store. How about that? But uh, yeah, and, um, but yeah. So you can you can basically click and click here and, and instantly access uh, information about your apps. It gives you some rating information um, and that kind of stuff. Maybe this is broken. It knows how long ago? How many years ago I put, pushed out these apps? Nine point three years ago I published uh, Device Tracker. By the way, in case those of you driving at home. Yeah, so it's kind of a handy little tool here. It's written written for Mac OS and just pops into your menu and away you go. Just, uh, I think it's cool if you want to find out how your apps are doing, right? That's my pick. And he hopes you love it. I used to use know. something like this. I thought it, I think it was called like Magic App or something like that, mm-hmm. which was an open source thing. So you had to build it on Xcode, but then it did right. exactly the same thing. But that's not working years ago. Really? Okay. Yeah. And of course, you know, I have an app that you can remove app that you no longer sell. So I think it's sold through Gumroad. So yeah, like I said, 10 bucks to steal. All right. So honey, you're up. Yeah, this one is a fun little tweet that I saw from uh, John Reed mm-hmm. at Q Coding, who is uh, is all about test-driven development. I highly recommend his uh, course if you haven't taken it or checking out his blog and website for materials on how to do test-driven development in the mm-hmm. iOS and macOS-driven world. Um, his cheeky tweet here says, look at that. Useful testing device from Apple, adding <laughs> unit tests to your existing project. And uh, this was new to me and and to uh, to John, who we hadn't seen this this article, which is sort of sublinked from the tweet that we'll have in the show notes for those of you driving home, on adding unit tests to your existing project and even some guidance about replacing concrete types with protocols and mm-hmm. replacing name types with meta type values and other stuff. I'm like, wow, they're actually uh, actually pushing the community forward. This, this, is, this is good. This is gravy. It's nice to see some official guidance from here. Yeah. Well, you know, but this is uh, development driven testing. Um, it's at least adds uh, unit <laughs> tests. It's not really about test driven right, development. development per most, most people object to it because they, they don't want to write the test before they, they do their code, right? Yeah. This. Um, 
This particular uh, article from the developer, the Apple developer site, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't choose a side on the TDD or no TDD, but at least right. it, it hovers the, if you're going to have tests, which should, uh, whether you do them before or you do them after, here's how you can add them to your project. Mm-hmm. Cool. Does it cover uh, mocking at all, I wonder? No. They cover uh, injecting stuff like um, injecting the singleton, which right. yeah. I guess glances and they, in, in they the direction. And they talk about the idea of using a protocol uh, instead of a concrete type yeah right yeah. so that you can sw- uh, swap it out with a, with a mod or something oh i see okay yeah. right cool yeah let's think of this a, a thorough read yeah getting tests written are sometimes challenging hmm. cool all right well i guess that's it for another week so hey hi if people want to get in touch with you how would they do that i'm on twitter as at dev with the hair all right and mark if you want to get in touch with you mark r at smapsoft.com and as i've been saying for five years now my name is tim mitra d-i-m-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine is where you'll find me and it's still true but until next week we'll say bye-bye bye bye this has been another episode of the more than just code podcast if you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Six years, Tim, that we've been doing. Is it six years? Almost, almost six years? Yeah, we're coming up on six years. Yeah. Coming up in August. We're almost at our 300th episode, which we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, Jaime. Yeah, right. we are, uh, are we on 287? 13 yeah. weeks. We're hitting the big 300 and, and screaming about Sparta, I'm sure. It has to be a joke in there somewhere. Sparta? Oh, 300? Oh, uh, 300. Uh, <laughs> as we close the lid on our iPad. How about that? Oh, look. <laughs> look, Jaime Lopez tweeted, have you entered a chance to win an iPhone 11? Oh, that was, uh, that was an offer up. You too can do the same if you sign up for offer up then i can't though in canada oh is it not available in canada yeah you guys people are... in canada are using it though like i see i see stuff listing listings from canada right yeah they looked at kijiji once and i, I don't even work at offer up anymore i was like man kijiji is not great they don't, they don't even have uh, threads on javascript so no no mm. no, no it's single, all single thread mm-hmm. uh-huh. so Jaime, what i was wondering is make if I'm, i have zero q that's definitely a greg question by the way yeah he might know it's not no, a, it's not really know. a swift question though it's a gcd question. no no <laughs> he's not exclusively swift no he did a talk once on on uh that i went to on um uh, concurrency yeah yeah was but on. it was different stuff than this i mean he may know and he probably does know but mm. but uh but uh that was a different topic what i'm trying to do i mean i have a i have an asic i have a serial queue that i'm dispatching things to because the order of them matters and mm-hmm. and i just found that i on one of them i have to do an api call can't can't avoid it so but uh, you know as soon as normally as soon as you do an api call asynchronous api call uh it returns the thread is allowed to you know the the, the queue gives up and lets something else run on the queue and so that 
that breaks the order while it's waiting for the thing to come back. So I just got to figure out how to make the, how to just block the thread until the asynchronous call comes back. It's, it should be a, I mean, I'm sure that's just a standard way to do it. I'd have to look that up. It should mm-hmm. be an easy thing to do. Yeah. So the API call that you're making, it sounds like is probably block based and not delegate callback based. Right. Right. It's a URL session. It's just a URL session. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it launches asynchronously and just waits for the, waits for the closure. The call I'm back. sure there are better ways to do this, but I, the, the old school way is to subclass in its operation. Yeah. Oh. And then, and yeah. then don't return the is finished or something like keep saying false until, um, your callback occurs. And then you flip the bit to says, okay, this operation is complete. Yeah. This is, there's yeah. something like, uh, yeah. like you were saying block and wait, there's some, there is some way of, there's a way to tell it to, to wait, but I don't know. Again, I don't know. Like you said, if it applies to NSDRL session, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that would work if, if it, if it were an NS operation. Yes. But if it's just, if you're just dispatching in GCD, Oh, I'm sorry. That. I I yeah. missed the queue. So when you said the queue, it wasn't an operation queue. It's a GCD queue. Oh no, it's, queue? A, it's a it's a dispatch queue. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <sighs> There's like stuff you can do with dispatch group, um, like await and notify. I want to say that that pair up with each other. Yeah, that you yeah. can do some stuff with. It's not super ideal for reasons that are escaping me, but it, it seems possible. Yeah, it, it has to be. It has to be possible because <laughs> it's a pretty standard thing. Um, just need to look it up. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure dispatch group is the right way to do it because that's more for multiple concurrent things. Well, they don't have to be concurrent, I suppose. But it's that's what's like when you have a group of things and you and you want to be notified when they're all. All done, but that's different than what I'm doing here. Yeah, but you could abuse it and say, "All right, the main thread here, the one that says, you know, dot API call with block, says, cool. Um, you know, I'm going to be part of this group, and then the part within the the block is like, yep, we're also part of this group too. And then only when the API block is done, we'll have both of them completed. Is is kind of how, vaguely how I remember that working. Yeah, yeah. It's like a that... really like hacky poor man's way yeah, of doing it, but yeah, I, I think yeah. it will work. Yeah, I don't. What about that? Yeah, yeah. Thread thing that Greg was talking about in that talk. I don't remember that one, Tim. So I couldn't. I couldn't E-thread say. Underscore T. Um, dispatch semaphore. Uh, yeah, signal dispatch semaphore is probably the way to do it. Oh, did he do a talk on that stuff, Tim? Yeah, he did this okay, talk on. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was a uh, 2018 at. Um, 360 I'd have. Yeah, it's probably a semaphore is the way to do it. Anyway, I don't want to waste time. And this lock is that no, I think it's that useful. Is? Like, I mean, we don't have the answer here and maybe you'll 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 get it from the the video uh, or slides or something there, but I think it's like it's it's too complicated. There's a thing called the NS lock, right? Where you can yeah. you can create a lock mm-hmm. and then wait until it's finished and then you unlock yeah, it. Yeah, so dispatch semaphore controls access to a resource usually. Can you can you use it to block a thread though? Yeah. Uh, um, so I did that in my conference talk for uh, abusing the heck out of it and, and abusing it purposely saying, look, this is easy to explain to non-technical folks that the semaphore acts like a traffic light. Mm-hmm. Red is stop and green is go. And yes, you know, what, what is, is stop and what is go is, you know, await and continue or whatever it's called in the, in the API. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this really weird hack, but it solved the problem of the cloud function wants to run top to bottom. Doesn't want to stop so when you 
make an asynchronous call, like to Watson in this case, that callback never actually gets called before the function dies. Mm -hmm. So I just said, hey, thread, just, just, just chill and wait here until I signal you. And then the signal was in the callback from the Watson call. Mm. And it works. It's completely, but <laughs> probably it, not what you should be it, doing, but does it, it prevent? Does it prevent someone else from dispatching another item to that same queue and executing that queue while that, while your queue is, while your code is paused? No idea because I wasn't testing it in that kind of okay, use yeah, case. That, that's, that's exactly what I need to do. So I, I can't let anything run on that queue. I need the next, the next thing. So it's a serial queue. So this other stuff queued up after the current process. And uh, I can't let any of those execute until, until this thing comes back and does some more stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I think actually, actually, now that I think about it, I might, I might have a whole different way of working, of, uh, of, of uh, reworking the code where I let them execute. That might actually work too. <laughs> so we just, anyway. honey, you and I just have to figure out how to make a squeaky noise like a rubber duck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> Thanks guys. With some, with some post-production work. Squeak, you just, squeak. Yeah. yeah. You just get a squeak or record it and just throw it in there. Um, yeah. 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 Well, I threw the link to what I was talking about at okay. right the top of the, cool. the episode thing. Um, but it doesn't solve the kind of problem. Well, I shouldn't say, I don't know if it solves the problem that you were looking to solve mm -hmm. because these functions don't have other things running at the same time. So mm -hmm. no idea if that's a flaw. Yeah. The thing Greg was talking about was a, was a P thread API that they're in, in accessible and, and he was also talking about groups as well, dispatch groups. Mm -hmm. he, did a, he did a demo like that too, where he had, but it was like with, um, I think with the, the app call, he had breakpoints with where it would read out a, a sentence and then he sort of played, he ran them and they would come back in random order. And then he figured, he showed us how to do a, use a lock and wait. Right. And then, um, then it was, then he could set the order that they would come out of, out at. Yeah. Roger Waters scheduled a second night for his concert in the round mm -hmm. in San Jose. Yeah, same in oh, Toronto. Chase Center, not San Jose. Hmm? Yeah, the Chase Center, not in San Jose. That's in San Francisco. Yeah, he's playing in the Toronto too. I have a ticket already. I guess he has a new album out. I guess. Mm, this is no, not he's a just doing. Is he doing a new album? I don't know. It's called the I This Is not. not a Drill Tour. Yeah. Oh, maybe he's referencing politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't He had a lot of fun with the uh, pigs, three different ones. Yeah, he did. With yeah. Mr. Trump. Did you go see him when he came? I around? did. Yeah. 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 It's funny when you're buying tickets in the round like you never know because there's no standardization that way so you never know what you're going to get i saw yes in the round once mm -hmm. they did their uh, yes yes songs tour i guess it was uh, Armado. peter gabriel yes yeah, yeah i saw that one too with uh yeah growing up yeah yeah saw that one too the big bubble and stuff like that yeah and the upside down unicycles yeah yeah with his daughter yeah, yeah. that was the second last time i saw him play i think i've seen him three or four times i saw him do the third album live you know that back in mm. early days so mark how do you feel about uh corn with a k i'm not really a fan i have to say that's all right yeah you like them i definitely did uh, <laughs> when i was in high school uh, yeah. i definitely do listen to like freak on a leash and stuff um i haven't in a while so i kind of wonder maybe i should pull it up on, on apple music and listen to the album and see how i feel yeah you know few decades covers, too. i've seen them do cover some other songs too Porn. Primus is doing um, uh, Rush's uh, Farewell to Kings album. Yeah. Is Oysterhead coming your way? Who? It's a new super group with uh, Les Claypool and Trey Anastasio and the oh, others. Really? Yeah. Well, Primus is coming, so. Yeah. Or is he not in Primus anymore? He must be. In, I mean, you know, huh? he must be in Primus because right. there would be no Primus. His band Sausage played actually uh, around here over New Year's. Mm. That was his band before Primus, and they basically get together oh, yeah. like once a year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Apple Music sent me a push notification about Green Day's new Bother of All album. Yeah. Which, on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, I kind of appreciate that. That makes
makes sense. I do listen to Green Day. Yeah. And on the other hand, I was like, wait a minute, this feels like an inappropriate ad that I shouldn't be getting push notifications for. I didn't explicitly sign up for this. Yeah. Who is this Apple company anyway? Right. Yeah. Somebody needs to yeah, break was, them apart. <laughs> I was disappointed when Apple uh, when Apple stock went down the other day, and then I did the math on how much money I lost since I bought. I just bought a single share a while ago, so it went down. But I thought, well, you know what? I'll just buy a couple more and wait for it to go back up again. Right? What do you think, Mark? Your plan? Uh, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the whole um, go, the market is just collapsing right now. You know that. Oh, right? I know, but you don't yeah. think it's going to go back up eventually when it recovers? Well, maybe. Maybe could be a while. Yeah. You know, we didn't talk about the fact you can. You can Apparently, you can buy the uh, wheels for the Mac, Mac Pro separately now, right? And install them yourself. Oh, instead of having them installed at the factory when you yeah. get your delivery? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a usable, user-accessible thing. Oh, so speaking of um, SwiftTO and trying to develop uh, an idea for a talk, what are you thinking? Are you going to put a talk in, Jaime? I'm not sure. As... Did Toronto get some maple, maple syrup? <laughs> yeah, I was... Uh... <laughs> But which brand they, would you buy? He'd be stuck. He'd just be standing in the supermarket. Well, no, but if they, if they if they included, you know, flight and hotel and maple syrup, would you come? Oh, does it come with a straw to stick in a tree? A metal, a metal pointy straw that and you... a big and a big uh, bucket. And a big that you, bucket. you can boil it yourself. Yeah. Oh, um, they could they could have like a whole workshop on making maple syrup. So, how many maple trees that produce sap are there actually in downtown Toronto? Uh, none in the, none in downtown Toronto, but but I believe that every maple Maple tree can produce maple syrup. I don't think there's a specific. I mean, well, don't at me, folks, but I don't think there's a specific uh, brand of tree that uh, grows them better or not, right? See, so, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure, Tim. If I'll submit, I need to double check to see when that uh, submission. I think it was like June for the submission date. Yes, it's June. So, yeah. so there's time. Uh, kind of bouncing ideas about using Music Kit, which for Swift TO, since it would have to be Swift based, could use the. Yeah, so Music Kit is, is tapping into Apple Music, or what's right. the behind that? Yeah, it lets you lets you do that. Um, provide your own sort of playing experiences and do different things, mm-hmm. um, and then as sort of a two for one uh for other you know reaching outside of the the normal apple community for the web community would mm-hmm. be the music kit js it seems like they have a way to do that through the browser as well so mm. it might be uh might be sort of a two for one where you know the there's going to be a fair bulk of work of just getting the authentication token created and configured and, and signed i'm sure and going through all the setup i feel like fully 40 to 50 percent of the setup work will be just getting the authentication to work and then mm-hmm. seeing what's possible with the APIs on the uh, Swift side and on the JavaScript side will be um, interesting. At, at the very least, just to show people sort of what's available, what's out there, what can you mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Going to be a two-day conference this time. Yeah, that'll definitely help uh, help chances. I am I can guarantee you a ton of those talks will be about Swift UI and yeah. Combine. That is, yeah. those are sort of the, well, last year in the fall, they definitely would have been your, you know, your easy buttons to get in to conferences. Now, as things mm-hmm. have matured, and more people know, they probably start becoming um, table stakes. If you're not talking about Swift UI, if you're not talking about Combine, it better be really damn interesting yeah. for, for it to stick out above the crowd. Right. So that, that would be my advice there. Yeah. And man, hopefully this uh, virus situation starts yeah. winding down at, at some point because the, the latest updates that I'd seen were uh, more personally. So email from a conference is like, hey, w- you know, um, we're still following our country 
Lee's uh, advice over you know, travel and all this other stuff. So we're still going to have that. This was uh, App DevCon in uh, the Netherlands, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they're having a conference in early March, I want to say. And they're like, hey, we're still having the conference. We'll keep people sort of in the know when, when things change. Right. The only change so far is, unfortunately, one of our speakers was unable to come because of travel restrictions for their country. Mm. But, um, you know, the Japan's having to face the, the possibility of canceling the Olympics. So we'll, they just had we'll the, first, the first known incident of person-to-person transmission in the U.S. was just today really? in Northern California, right around where I am. We had our fifth birth case today. Were they people had been, who had been traveling overseas and came to Canada? Yeah, yeah. she was yeah. The, the the latest person was uh, in uh, Iran, mm. picked it up in Iran. So, mm. but they had, they had her four were Chinese from, coming from China, all in their like sixties. They weren't like young people. Yeah. So, yeah, kids don't seem to get it, which is interesting. How many uh, cases have there been in the states so far? So, I don't know about the whole states, but we've got uh, let's see, that was the eighth in California. Sorry, no, really? uh, seven, eight, nine, uh, ninth. California. Mm. Uh, the other eight were travelers. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm hoping things calm down a little bit. I'm backing off a little bit and being less aggressive about pushing for the, the conference stuff just because normally I'd be pushing really hard to try to get something here in the spring or summer. Um, I've got the Australian gig lined up for the fall. Mm. Got other sort of business work travel sort of around the fall. So I'm like, oh, I want to throw something into winter maybe, but then it starts reducing the number of places I'd be willing to go to because of winter is really winter in other places. Right. So you're going to Australia in the fall? Yeah, in, well, I guess it's not fall over there. Um, it's the opposite, yeah. Yeah, in uh, October, which is what, like spring for them? Yeah, uh, yeah I think so. Because there are two seasons off, so fall would be winter and then spring. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, hopefully things at a minimum work themselves out by then, but the first bit of business travel I have is uh, late May, early June. I want to say. Yeah. So really hoping this um, this outbreak starts winding down around April as I had seen one analysis that it might, but that's probably way out of date by now. Hmm. Well, I got three numbers in the lottery. Woo-hoo. I wonder what that wins me. <laughs> three, no like 50 bucks maybe? No, it's, I think it's probably like five. <laughs> you get, I think for two oh. you get like a free ticket and for three you get like five bucks. Yeah, I think I thought two would give you like dollar back. No, we get free tickets here in Canada. Hmm. Free? Wait, free lottery tickets? Is that yeah, for, you, for getting you get like two, two, you numbers. two numbers. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, that's real socialism. If, you know, everyone gets free lottery <laughs> tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.